Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, April 14th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? A little better rested than the last, I don't know how many podcasts we've done, which is a very nice change. Uh, And I know I needed it because I did literally nothing today, and it went by like that, which I think is just a sign. Uh, Little birthday trick I did was you take advantage of that Costco membership and Quebec allowing stores to sell beer and wine um, and buy a 50 pack of Heineken for, I think like 62 bucks or something, uh, which like five friends had won. And now I just have 45 Heinekens as a gift to myself and pretty happy to enjoy that for the next probably month. Okay. Maybe the next two weeks while we do these, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Kicking off my long weekend for the Easter holiday, um, just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, not the Monday like we had as kids, but cannot complain. It's been a couple months since my last long weekend, and no way I'd rather kick it off than with you. And looking forward to talking about playing tournament. So far, what we've seen, it has gone chalk. Uh, and then also a couple of other sports to touch on, including baseball, a little hockey, and a little tennis to kick things off. So Max, whenever you're ready, we'll start uh, with this week's tennis talk at the Monte Carlo Open. Yes, sir. We're all the quarterfinal matchups set. We're into the final eight and a tale of two brackets here, two halves. In the top half, the two players I had my eye on most this tournament out in the first match They play both Djokovic and Alcaraz. Um, We talked about Djokovic last time. Alcaraz gets bounced by Sebastian Corda, which knew was going to be a thriller and a fantastic match of tennis played by Corda, though he went up the next match against fellow American Taylor Fritz, who did not by any stretch of the imagination have a bad march at all, winning the Indian Wells and doing decently in Miami, if I remember correctly. So maybe no surprise, Fritz pulls that one out. Uh, he'll face Davidovich Fokina, who won against Djokovic in the first. Then below that, we have Grigor Dimitrov and Hubert Herkaz um, playing the second round. Herkaz also playing pretty well in Miami there. But it really seems like anyone's toss-up between those four to uh, make it onto the finals. In the bottom half, though, oh, Pretty much all the top seeds making it. Diego, first off, Tsitsipas and Zverev. Um, Yannick Sinner winning a big match against Rublev. Uh, Sinner, not a player I've talked about much, but been top 10, top 15. Uh, this There's going to be, like I think in two to three years, an Italian takeover. Berrettini kind of leading the charge, but Sinner quietly right behind them. Lorenzo Musetti as well, who I think lost to Dimitrov, but he took out Felix in the first round of this matchup. Anywho, Sinner Zavera at the bottom of the draw set to play and Schwartzman Tsitsipas in the middle set to play. I'm really hoping Tsitsipas Zavera pulled through and we'd have a rerun of the French Uh, semis last year which was a fantastic uh, match between the two of them but yeah uh, so those matches I think taking place tomorrow really 
hoping to see that result and that could be some awesome semis on Saturday. Uh, looking forward to how that shapes up. We'll have all the wrap up on Sunday. Moving on. Awesome. Awesome. A little talking hockey here. A little pit stop. Just breaking about an hour ago, we have found out that the next best thing in this Leafs uh, development system, USA uh, World Junior prospect Matthew Nyes has announced that he will be returning to the University of Minnesota next season, meaning that the Leafs do miss out on uh, bringing him up as an option for them to play either in the playoffs or all of next season and a lot of talk on Leafs Twitter because the team's been doing so well. So you're looking for something else to complain about. And uh, a lot of the discussion centered around, do we really need this kid? We saw it with Robertson where it just, when you got a skill guy, he's not suited for the fourth line. And that's really all the Leafs have space for at this point. So not necessarily a bad thing. He's not getting the action. Now it does suck that we won't get to see him next year, but I, I take the mindset of, Teams stay good for a long period of time by constantly having new talent flowing in. So eventually could be a Nylander, could be a Kerfoot, a Mikheyev, um, one of those guys, maybe a little further down the lineup, who knows, maybe bunting ends up way out earn out earning what, he's what we expected of him and he gets paid something the Leafs can't afford down the line. But um, it's always great to have fresh talent coming in and Matthew Nice can come in on an ELC and provide some pep alongside a guy like Nick Robertson when they're finally ready to be NHL caliber players. And it keeps the line moving around your core to keep that team really strong and consistent for many, many years, right? We're now, what five years into Matthews six years into Mitch Marner like it it you want to continue this run for another 10 years so you got to have guys that are constantly coming in around them so let's not rush the players we've seen what's happened with Robertson he's had the worst injury luck but I honestly I'm I'm not I'm not pushing Matthew Nice to be out on the ice just yet I'd rather him be a fully finished product when he joins the Leafs as a third second line player then push him to play fourth line minutes and lead him down this same kind of trajectory that, that Robertson encountered. Yeah. I of course completely agree with you about the development, keep the players in the system, keep the system running. That's how dynasties do it. Even not dynasty in the traditional contenders or cup winner sense of the word, but those teams that are always contending, those franchises always at the forefront, one trade, one luck, set of development one dark horse away from being a real bona fide uh, vying member for that Stanley Cup as for the fourth line top line things I feel like especially with the Leafs um, you never know who that last guy to slot in is we're we've settled pretty happily with the Matthews Marner pairing the Tavares Nylander pairing sometimes mixing that up for a little more depth but there's always space for that third guy at the top and if you have a skilled guy you slot them in you give them their go and you never know the chemistry might just be there and you might find something beautiful Uh, guys like Kerfoot I love because they're so versatile Mm -hmm. they can play at the top bunting as well they can play in the top but you can make Mm -hmm. a really solid third line that you can trust Mm -hmm. in any situation with those guys if you can find the right players to 
play on the top line. So what I worry about, I'm happy to give him his go on the roster, have him crack. What a, the question is just development. Will he develop better at the university level or at the NHL level? Uh, I, I don't fully buy in that, like, it's always better to wait. Sometimes you need that taste of experience and something to push you, make you better. And then there's some guys like Owen Power, where it really just doesn't seem to matter. They'll do things at their own pace. They'll have that self-confidence. And when they're ready to make the step, they do it with everything they do- they have and do it wonderfully. Uh, but I, at this moment, pretty happy with the place the franchise is in in terms terms of future talent and current talent so that's my two cents yep looking forward to the battle of premier goal scorers in the nhl as uh, austin matthews and the leafs take on alexander ovechkin in the washington capitals tonight we move on to basketball where we saw Four really exciting play-in tournament games to kick off uh, the NBA postseason schedule. Play-in games, technically not playoff games. Good for Carl Anthony Towns. We'll get there. Uh, But things going chalk between those four games. um, Kicking off with the Brooklyn Nets. We talked about it on Tuesday as it was happening. Uh, Kyrie Irving was fantastic. KD was great. And then really laid down the stretch. They got the contributions that they needed from Bruce Brown and Nicholas Claxton to shut the doors on the Cavs. And the Cavs will now have to defend themselves against the Atlanta Hawks, who absolutely throttled the Charlotte Hornets last night. Um, Max, you watched more of this game than I did because I tuned in early in the second quarter and it already seemed out of hand. Uh, I saw DeAndre Hunter have his big third quarter, but really tuned out after that because it felt not worth it. And um, the biggest storyline out of this game for me really was Miles Bridges (laughs) had a moment of weakness, spiking the uh, mouth guard into the crowd, hitting a girl. Uh, He's going to, he's going to hit her up and hook her up after uh, he apologized on Twitter for that. But that was really the highlight of the night for Hornets fans really didn't go much better. And that's saying something. Yeah, I, I feel like a couple of different angles to approach this game. I don't know if you need one final definitive answer to the question, um, but there were a couple matchups and the Hawks seemed to win them all. In terms of game planning, I was really interested from the get-go. First time Young brings the ball down the court, the double team hits him. The second, or the second they get the chance with the high ball screen attempt. And every time Young had the ball in his hands, they just made sure they forced him to take it out of his hands, maybe trying to mess with the ego of it. Um, But he answered that test beautifully. More on that in a sec. But it worked for a second. It caught the Hawks off guard. Uh, The Hornets got out with a bit of space early, but the Hawks figured it out. This team has been constructed almost with that in mind. You talked about the depth of this lineup going into the season and it really showed in that first half young getting the ball out of his hands like as well as he could every time the double team came no sloppiness no getting caught off guard from him and whoever had it whether it was Gallinari Bogdanovich Herder uh they they would take the space they had dribble penetrate and then always make the extra pass and more often than not their perimeter knockdown shooting 
very pretty, very efficient. Uh, this team was constructed with Young is going to get double teamed a lot in mind. We need a perimeter space lineup that can handle that. And that's exactly what they did in that first half. Clint Capella, also no answer from the Hornets. The offensive rebounds, just nothing they could do about it. The second chance points. Young having fun as always with the lobs there. And I mentioned Young a little, really impressed with just how he made the right pass the whole time. Um, the shot wasn't landing for him. Like he had a couple of floater attempts that he made the right read on and attacked when the double team was a bit late or they didn't have the space for it. They weren't dropping, but he didn't get frustrated. He kept either attacking the lane if it was there, or making the pass if it was there, whatever it was. Lamelo, on the other hand, as this was kind of billed as a battle between two premier young point guard talents, um, the shot not dropping for him, and he just didn't seem to make the right plays consistently. He didn't seem to get the ball out of the pocket when it was there. The shots he was forcing seemed a little rougher. And if anything, he had better luck with the ball dropping than Young. I would say a lot of cheeky, deep three-pointers off the dribble. Maybe not a lot, but three or four, just enough to keep him there trying. But the floater, the mid-range, really not working for him. Rozier either couldn't get it. It was kind of a miracle the score was as close as it was early. Uh, PJ Washington helpful with that. So the game planning of trapping Young didn't go in the Hornets' favor because the Hawks had the depth, playmaking depth for it. The Lamelo versus Trey Young battle uh trey young showing better maturity reading the game offensively much better the last difference um just the playoff experience i think the hawks deep run last year really showed in that at this faster speed of game when players are always going at 110 percent with the defense always ramped up um, a lot of mistakes in transition i think the speed of the game brought up by the hornets defensive game plan but then they couldn't handle the turnovers they created and often gave it right back to the Hawks who were able to handle it in transition much, much better. And that those three things created enough of a lead. I don't know how the Hornets kept as close as they did, like I said, but eventually they ran away with it. Uh, I actually... <laughs> watch this from such a like bird's eye view that I didn't really even notice Hunter's big third quarter. Oh, I don't know if you have anything to say there. Not really. He, again, with Trey being the center of attention, he really just did a great job finding his spots in the flow of the offense. And when the points start racking up a little bit, you start to feel a little bit more comfortable and make, make some tougher shots. And it was a huge quarter. And overall the Hawks had a big third quarter that allowed them to pull away and, uh, flicking out of that one was pretty easy for me there near the end. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This uh, Clippers and Timberwolves game, though, a lot closer, a lot more down to the wire. Only watched the fourth quarter of this one. Um, the Timberwolves coming from behind, I think it was a 21 to 5 run at one point, 16 to 2 at another point, just a monster fourth quarter that really started after Carl Anthony Towns came out. Um, a team, amazing defensive effort. Uh, Patrick Beverly with a huge, excuse me, a few huge moments and letting the world know how huge those moments were. Carl and, excuse me, um, Anthony Edwards, though, the most impressive part of it for me, 
so much poise, like the most important game of his life. He's got the ball in his hands. He's the one making the decisions and he stood up to the test. I Did you see like the two big plays he took? Oh yeah. I watched yeah. this entire game. Okay. Um, my thought on the Anthony Edwards thing was we really got the full Anthony Edwards experience. Everyone really gushing about all of his great moments. I think if the Timberwolves don't win this game, you see it a little bit differently. He had an air ball three. He had a terrible offensive foul um, on an inbounds play. Um, He'd had a couple step back threes that barely hit the rim. Um, And a couple moments that you're going to see out of a second year player, right? Both him and LaMelo. We saw it from them both, but the moments that do make you go, wow, especially as someone who maybe hasn't watched all the Timberwolves games this year is the step back three that he makes over Paul George is the hesitation uh, when they ice the screen and lose communication. And he just flies down the lane, throws down a dunk. It's a minute and a half left in the game. And Marcus Morris, he waves away the screen and says, I can take this guy purely off my athleticism drives the, but the basket gets fouled to gets a free throw really puts the game away at that point. Um, that was the big one for me. Yeah. Just, the, the mentality to attack there late in the game and know that he's going to get by him is, is a big step for him because there's no one in this league that can stay in front of him. He's just so naturally explosive. Um, and luckily for the Wolves, that performance, along with D'Angelo Russell being an absolute shot maker, uh, overshadowed a, a really, really disappointing and frightening game from Carl Anthony Towns, if you're a Timberwolves fan, because he has been their all-NBA player all year, and he was forcing a lot of shots. Uh, the Clippers went to kind of the Raptors mode of operations with some of the other smarter teams where they'll put a wing on a more perimeter-centric big and have their center kind of hang out in the paint to clog things up, and Towns really struggled against this, started forcing, and then on the other end, probably let that get to his head a little defensively, taking some terrible fouls, was in foul trouble the whole game, fouls out, and of course you see the run from there. Um, Earlier in the game, the Wolves kind of went on two runs. It was after Towns fouled out and also after the girl tried to glue herself to the floor. I don't know if you saw that. No, what? (laughs) Yeah, there's a protest mid-game where some woman ran on the floor and had just like dollar store glue and put on her hand and try to just like stick herself to the floor. (laughs) And both Patrick Beverly and the security guard were looking at her like, what are you doing? It was an all time moment, really shocking, but um, stopped the game for about two minutes there. And then think things continued. And I guess after that, the crowd really got in the game for some reason, but the wolves making a run, uh, key contributors there offensively of course D'Lo and Anthony um but on the defensive end was impressed by Patrick Beverly he uh he got Marcus Morris's second technical of the game which was then rescinded upon review but he almost got it and he's like big braining to the crowd uh just was in the mix all game of course against a former team that didn't want to re-sign him Uh, took it very personal and he gets that steal near the end of the game um, jumps up on the scores table celebrating like they've won a championship and Minnesota has only won one playoff game since 2002 so I think they're allowed to celebrate people let them celebrate Uh, Patrick Beverly what a game and then a shout out to 
Jaden McDaniels and Jared Vanderbilt, the two kind of like glue best perimeter defenders on this team, that fifth guy who's out there with a Beasley, Russell, Towns, Edwards lineup full of scoring and not maybe the most defensive oriented guys. And, and they had to take on the Paul George matchup tonight and they did a really good job despite George putting up 34, seven and seven. Um, those two guys really made it difficult for him. And you saw it down the stretch when, when George missed a couple of contested shots. Um, and, and that was really the difference that they did enough to keep him off the scoreboard. And if you're the Clippers, I mean, this doesn't feel like the same team as last year. It, it's a lot of the same guys, but we'll see if, if Paul George is good enough to, to go against New Orleans, uh, who is part of our final game of the night. I don't know if you have any last thoughts here on this Wolves-Clippers game. Uh, no, I'm happy to move on. I, I did not catch any of the Spurs-Pelicans game. I'm curious your thoughts on it and also how the Pelicans are going to match up against the Clippers. Yeah, the Pelicans are a weird team, man. And before the game, Zion throwing 360 dunks down in warm-ups. Just, oh, man. It seems like he's getting close, but he's just not going to get to play. Um, but... We did get to see the CJ McCollum show, a guy who has consistently shown up in big games. And that was one of the things we talked about when they made that trade to acquire him. Brandon Ingram, of course, looks solid. And those were the two best guys in the game. And it really showed forth there for the Pelicans. Um, Jose Alvarado, a really fun name to mention. He had 10 points in the first half, which is a huge spark for that team. He's been great for them all year, and the fans absolutely love him. So it just helps so much to have that home crowd advantage when a guy like that comes in and energizes your fan base. Uh, and, and the Pelicans, really, they did enough to, to get the job done. Nothing super spectacular, but again, we saw the Herb Jones-DeJounte Murray matchup where Herb was really disruptive and it took the Spurs out of a lot of the things they wanted to do offensively. And uh, Spurs fans after a loss are, are going to get on someone and they're getting on pop because they wanted to see more Lonnie Walker minutes, maybe a guy who can create something, but overall just uh, again, an unimpressive Spurs team going up against particularly CJ McCollum, who's been in big spots and uh, he just seemed to get whatever he wanted last night. And that seemed to be the big difference in the game was a, the difference in shot making and creation by, by a top guy. So CJ McCollum, a guy who's been there, done that, uh, has that credential advantage over anyone on the Spurs for sure. But you've got to give a pretty significant edge to Paul George if you're just talking about who's that team's guy yep. down the stretch when this next matchup comes. Absolutely. And we'll we'll see the Herb Jones Paul George matchup, which will be fun. I give the edge to Paul George just simply in terms of size and strength there in that one. But um and and the Clippers have a lot more guys to throw at McCollum and Ingram defensively uh as opposed to to the Spurs there, like the Clippers, just it's all wings, right? You can throw Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, Nicholas Batum, uh, Marcus Morris, all of those guys, Covington, right? There's there's plenty of options they can go to, but um, the Pelicans can score. They got guys who can score, and the Clippers, we saw it late in the game. They, their offense became pretty uncreative. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if the Pelicans pull it off here in a one game matchup, but uh, I, I still got to give to the edge to the Clippers being at home and having that Ty Lue factor. And he didn't figure things out late in the Wolves game, but he may have something cooking up his sleeve here for, for the Pelicans. I guess I'll go back to the Wolves for a second and just say they really locked in as a team in that fourth quarter. Like they handled the ball so well. Like I think their first turnover came on that offensive foul you were talking about from Edwards. And that was with a minute and a half left in the game. They were always back in transition. There was nothing easy for the Clippers. Everything was like Paul George isoing over McDaniels or Vanderbilt, which he did better than almost anyone in the world can, but you can still only get so much from that. And I do think that offense will run a lot smoothly, more smoothly against any defense the Pelicans can throw at them. Well, we look forward to it tomorrow night. Both of those final play-in games going on to decide what our first mount round matchups are going to be uh, for the one seeds in the East and West. I don't know if you want to spend a minute on this, Max. Ben Simmons. Uh, projections say he's maybe back in time for games four to six in the Celtics series. I'm pessimistic as to the impact he's going to have because he's not going to jump in and play 35 minutes in a playoff game. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I think it's another one of those ridiculous reports. Yeah, I, I like I do believe his back has been in playable condition for the last month. So in some sense, it's no surprise to hear like, yeah, I'm sure he could go and play next week. Um, and maybe he will. I, I do think it's going to be a one game test and um, there's going to be a lot to face there. I assume he'll wait for a home game to dip his toes in the water and then based how the temperature is, is how the future would will proceed uh definitely a guy you'd want to have in your arsenal to throw on brown throw on tatum for five ten minutes and the way this offense runs they you could pull some spacing things off so maybe maybe (laughs) there's the x factor right there if he is 90 percent ben simmons that's huge for brooklyn because he instantly provides, they have no one to guard either of those two guys you just mentioned on Boston. And he instantly, like, he's one of the top five perimeter defenders in the league when he's fully healthy. And he could cause major problems for the Celtics. So really fascinating to see. Again, I don't think that's what it's going to come to. And I think the Celtics are going to win this series. Uh, good value, by the way, if you're betting on that. <clears throat> but yeah, just saw the report, thought we'd throw it out there into the mix. Yeah, kicking off Saturday. I can't believe it. That pretty much your Easter weekend plans? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We'll get to Easter in a second, but finishing up here with some baseball banter. Our first one, really, of the year with the season now in full swing. And (sighs) Vladimir Guerrero Jr., man. It, It... I mean, he was runner-up in MVP voting last year and already putting together the case for this year. He goes for the hat trick last night against the New York Yankees, three home runs after being stepped on 
uh, on a play at first base had a nice bloody finger. I'm going to show you this screenshot here. For those looking at home, it is a picture of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting a pitch that is two or three inches off the inside of the plate here. It is a mid-90s fastball sinking in. He hit that 427 feet. It almost looks like he's bunting it because it's so close to his body. I mean, I, I love using this term because I call Austin Matthews a lot, but he's a mutant. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not of this earth. And just so much strength, so much power going with the ability to put contact on the ball. And uh, he's one of the best hitters in the world right now. And he absolutely destroyed that ball, um, destroyed a couple baseballs. And the Blue Jays starting their season four and two, wrapping up a four-game series against the Yankees tonight if weather holds, as right now the game is delayed due to weather. But um, a good start to the season so far. Got a lot of fans excited. And a couple of my early takeaways from this team has been improved defense out of guys you needed to see improvement from. Bo Bichette, a couple of uh, gold star plays already this year. Vladdy making stretches. Uh, he's always had good hands. It's really the mobility that you've worried about with him at first, but he is in much better shape and looks solid over there so far. Uh, Matt Chapman already an upgrade at third base and has been great. And Santiago Espinal has firmly taking control of Kevin Biggio's spot at second base, getting so far the majority of the reps there at that position. He's a much better defender and the worries had came behind the plate, but in his last hundred games now in his career, he's a 320 hitter. Um, he's been hitting for some power as well. A couple extra base hits we've seen from Espinal and some big hits. He had a couple of uh, massive hits in the Texas Rangers series to help them win that game. So Santiago Espinal really has been my standout guy, at least in the bottom of the bottom of the roster for the Blue Jays and has given them a lot more than the, what they're expecting. And that's what you need. If you want a team that's going to go deep in the playoffs, you need guys like this who are going to give you timely hitting and unexpected pop uh, from an eight, nine hitter. The last note here, um, the catchers, Danny Jansen, hurt Alejandro Kirk um, they're using it as a DH more than as a hitter right now because just he's still not there defensively where you'd like him to be so they've been rotating recently uh, with Zimmer and with Heineman as the catchers who are better defensively but that's a position that the Jays still have yet to figure out and I think it's one that you're going to see them bring in maybe a veteran guy later on this year that they haven't done in the past and avoided doing so, but they've been kind of focused on the offensive piece with Alejandro Kirk, but um, the game is so much easier for your pitchers, so much easier for your infield. If you have a really solid defensive catcher by that plate who manages the game. And I just think they're still missing that. And, and that's really the final piece that they're looking for at least uh, on the defensive side of the ball to round things out. And then the last note here, Teoscar Hernandez, the injury really now hurts not having Randall Grichuk. I mentioned that that trade, Grichuk wanted to get everyday playing time and he just wasn't going to get it with the Jays. But now you have that first injury in the outfield. It'd be really nice to have him. Instead, we'll get to see a little bit more Ramel Tapia uh, in the outfield there. And, and they did call up Gosuke uh, Kato. So we'll see if he gets some minutes as well, but uh, 
big injury for Hernandez to start the season. Hopefully it's not lingering. He's only on the 10 day uh, IL and um, a back-to-back silver slugger winner is never a guy you want to see leave your lineup, but the Jays have more than enough firepower to stitch things together until he's back. So those are my notes from, from Blue Jays so far this season. Looking forward to seeing if they can build on the momentum. Only six games out of 162, but tuned in a lot more than I have been in previous seasons already. Yeah, the remnants or the success of last year clearly showing its effect on you. Uh, strap yourself in six out of Jesus. Only getting better from here, buddy. Only getting better from here. All right. I got a little... Go ahead. Fun little segment here to end. Max, I spring this on you before we uh, call it a weekend. I'd like you to give me your top Easter foods or candies here um, that your go-to when you woke up as a kid uh, on Easter Sunday and, and the Easter bunny had shown up and dro- dropped off some chocolate or whatever it may have it. What got you absolutely buzzing the most? And if you need me to go first, I do have them lined up. I think you're going to be more enthusiastic about this answer than me, to be honest. So we'll save for you. Uh, any, I'm a sucker for Brandon or something. Anything like Swiss looking and dark chocolatey would really okay. get me. Okay. That kind of plays into my first choice. You cannot go wrong with a Lindor bunny. Yes. Those things really yep. slap, really solid uh, all the way around there. That's got to be on my list. I'll add in. Uh, mini eggs cannot go wrong with Cadbury mini eggs have some in my cupboards right now those always are a good time two years ago or three years ago there was a partnership with Hershey's where they did these uh, eggies but they're uh, cookies and cream mini eggs those were bomb are you a cookies and cream guy yeah okay okay definitely recommend if anyone can ever find those send them my way and then uh, i I got a sweet tooth, but I love sour candy as well. And so just like straight run of the mill, sour, uh, jelly beans, like the ones that get hidden around your house as a kid, though, that like, those are always so good to mix in, um, and, and gotta get a little bit of sour in there. <laughs> no kinder in that list. Oh, the kinder egg. Well, that's a year round thing for me. I used right, to have a right. uh, hundred plus kinder toy collection uh, in mm-hmm. the arsenal so you get like the jumbo one every easter no i have previously it, i think it's converted to lindor i think it's converted okay. to a little bit more adult chocolate if you know <laughs> if you know what i mean yeah well, the growth comes for us all well hopefully we didn't get anyone too hungry or uh, inspire anyone to run to costco and, and get a large helping of Easter candy. Max has already been this week. He's got his beer. I think he'll be okay. But thank you everyone for listening. Enjoy your Easter weekend uh, if you are celebrating. And uh, we will be back here on Sunday to, to talk some more sports with you. Looking forward to it. But till then, Sports Next Door signing out.